Hello, everyone. Good morning. We've got the faithful remnant, haven't we? Everyone else had such a hard night last night. Um, and here we are this morning. How are you? Doing well. I wonder what, who, what churches are represented here. Can I just quickly ask? So New, who's from New Springs from this church? They're all on this side of the room. And then we've got Ernest. What church are you from, Ernest? Okay, so another church in this area. That's right. Well, you told me that yesterday, didn't you? And what church are you guys We're from? We're in Stone Road in Sunderland. Darling Road. Okay. Oh, Stone Road. So it's just here, just the other side of the wall. Is that, a, is there's, that another Sunderland yep. church? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we've got, you know, over 300,000 people here, so we need as many churches as possible. Yeah. And where are you from? Elden Castle, Mission. But whereabouts? Elden Castle. Oh. This side of the wall, just a bit just. that way. Two or three miles that way. Yeah. Hilton awesome. Castle. Hilton Castle. Really posh estate over there. Oh, that's... Yeah. Well, we've got a castle. Yeah. That sounds yeah. nice. Got a a castle. castle, a Hilton yeah. and a castle. Yeah. I love that. And what church are you from? Darlington. Darlington, that's right. We had that conversation this morning. Awesome. We're getting to know the area um, very well, clearly. Um, so how, who here was not here last night? Just your lovely selves. Okay. Well, I'm not going to introduce myself over again because otherwise everyone else will just fall asleep on me. Um, but it's just so wonderful to be here. I came from Sydney, Australia a week ago, here for another week or so, just to work with Elam churches and particularly in building the church who hears God's voice. That's my calling. God spoke to me a number of years ago and said, Tanya, your job in life when I was pastoring my church and involved in lecturing in Bible colleges and I was asking God, what am I? Who am I? Probably is a better word, better way to say it, not what am I? But, you know, what am I? Am I a pastor? Am I a teacher? Am I a missionary? Am I a youth worker? What am I, God? And God said, your call is to equip people to hear the voice of the Spirit. And so that's what I do today. So this morning is all about the church who hears God's voice. How do we help people within our churches access the voice of the Spirit? So it's going to be kind of a practical time, a little bit of teaching. I'm going to get you to do some work as well, some, a little bit of interaction amongst us too. Um, so we're going to revisit some scriptures and we're going to look at some practical things that came out of my PhD. After many years of travelling around and in lots of different countries and cultures and denominations, I found that the questions <laughs> were, I was asking about hearing God's voice were actually the questions that everyone was asking. But at the same time, as I knew that it, how wonderful it was to hear the voice of the Spirit, at the same time I saw a lot of the problems that were around too and some of the obstacles and that led me to embark on a PhD about eight years ago um, to try and solve some of those questions and those problems. And so um, years down the track, we've, I've come to some, some places about how we can really address those issues. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Jared was an Australian farmer facing the worst drought of his life. All over the country, farmers were depressed and hopeless as they watched their crops dry up, as the riverbeds ran dry, as their cattle and their livestock died from starvation. 
People were struggling with thoughts of suicide, the prospect of losing their livelihoods. And Jared had a healthy brood of six children and faced the same prospect. So one day he decided to take time out to seek God, to listen to the voice of the Spirit. He went out to the back of his farm and he climbed a tree and he said, God, I'm going to stay in this tree until you speak to me. And so he stayed in the tree and he prayed and he waited and he prayed and he waited and he prayed and he waited. And the shadows grew long as the day wore on and he didn't hear anything. Finally, the sun set and he made his way back to the farmhouse and to his family. God, what are you saying to me? How can I save my farm? A little short time after that, Jared had a dream. In the dream, it was like he was flying over his farm in a drone and he saw the back northeast paddock. But it wasn't the normal dusty <coughs> plot that was there. It was now filled with canola plants, green and leafy, rising to a height of approximately 15 to 20 centimetres. He looked again. What is that? And as he woke up, he thought, well, wouldn't that be good if it was true? Where did that dream come from? He told his wife and they talked about it. Could that be a message from God? He'd never sown canola plants before. It was a high-risk crop. He turned to his agronomist for advice. Should we plant canola? And he, the agronomist said, no way, Jared. <laughs> that is way too risky given the condition that we're in. But still Jared and his wife prayed about it and prayed about it and they decided that eventually it was God speaking and they decided to do what the Spirit was leading them to. So they spent Australian 35,000 Australian dollars to buy the seed, over 1,000 kilos, and they began to sow it all through the day and all through the night, all through the day and all through the night for three days. They had sown 80% of their seed when the rains came, began to soak up the soil and germinate the seed until a short time later, the plants rose to 15, 20 centimetres of height, green and leafy. They took the plants to market and as a result of that, earned 80% of their annual income, saved the farm. All because they had heard God's voice and they followed. Miracles. Don't you love that story? Yeah. A contemporary example of the Holy Spirit speaking and working in our day. But as Pentecostals, you and I, that's not that unusual, is it? <laughs> well, because we read those kind of stories all the way throughout Scripture, don't we? In fact, it is the pattern that we see throughout the Bible and I want to just start today with a revisiting of the centrality of the Spirit. You see, I remember when I first started my ministry and I was explaining some, to some pastor friends of mine, I said, oh, I'm starting a ministry. And they said, well, what is it about? And I said, it's about equipping people to hear God's voice. And they said, well, well that, that's a bit narrow, isn't it? Like, 
that's not... What else are you going to do? Is that it? And I thought about that for a long time and I said, God, is, is that a bit narrow, God? You know, because there are all sorts of things that we do in church life. There's all sorts of aspects of ministry, aren't they? And isn't hearing God's voice just one of the many things that we do as Christians? Kind of like, you know, the, the cherry on top of the cake, if you like. It's a really nice cherry, but, you know, that's not really the cake. But then as I searched the scriptures and I revisited this, I realised that actually it's not the cherry on the cake, it's the cake. <laughs> because if we go back, let's see if this works. If we go back in biblical history, we see that the spirit is at work at the centre of everything that God does. Now, you don't have to take notes or anything like that. It's a little bit overwhelming with my, my notes there. But what you see is that, particularly, let's start with the Old Testament, that wherever you see the Spirit mentioned, it's usually associated with God speaking. It's the main way that God reveals God's self to people is through speech. That's the revelation that we see. In fact, the pattern is that God does nothing without speaking it. Amos 3 verse 7 says, God reveals it to people and then they hear what God says and then they live it out. We have a talking God. Three and a half thousand times that phrase is used in the old covenant. You know, we, we read it so often that we overlook it, don't we? And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And then we see the pattern with Jesus. He did nothing without first speaking it. <laughs> he heard God speak and he acted on it. There's a partnership element with God. It begins with God speaking. The centrality of a talking God, a personal God that we looked at last night, reminding us now in the new covenant of everything that Jesus established and then taking those truths and applying them to things to come. The main way that we connect with God. I, I love it that we don't have to try and work out what God is doing. You know, there's that passage of scripture in Isaiah 55. It says, for as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways than your ways. And we understand that God's ways are higher than ours, don't we? And that sometimes faith is a mystery. But if you go back and you read that passage, what God is actually saying is, my ways are higher than your ways, but I want you to know my ways. <laughs> so would you listen to what I say? Call to me and I will tell you unsearchable things, God says. Listen to me. Eat what is good. Listen to my words, which are like bread and life to you. I want you to know my ways. I want you to start to walk according to my ways. I want you to hear my word. And so what we see is that when we begin to hear God's voice, we receive power for miracles. God's words create, uh, contain creative power. They are vehicles of God's will and intention. You know, when we talk, it doesn't always mean much, does it? We make stuff up all the time. We slander, we gossip, we exaggerate, we embellish, we waffle. <laughs> God is not a waffler. 
God's words don't return empty. They're sent forth with intention and purpose. And then God watches over them to perform them. I love that image. I think, for example, of God's words in Joseph's life. Do you remember his story? He has a dream. God speaks to him and says, Joseph, I've got a plan for you. I'm calling you to be in leadership such that your family will even bow down to you, which is a ridiculous idea given that Joseph was one of the youngest in his family and the oldest were always led the youngest. And you can imagine that word being sent out. It was sent forth. And then God is watching over that word as it goes into the pit where Joseph's brothers sold him. And then God watching over that word as it goes into Egypt, into Potiphar's house, and it begins to look like it's being fulfilled. And then God watching over that word as it goes deep, deep, deep into an Egyptian prison. And then God watching over it as God then fulfills it. And Joseph rises to the second highest position in the Egyptian empire, God watches over it. It's a promise that doesn't return void. And, and the reason why that's so important is because God's words are a reflection of his character. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So when God speaks, when God speaks a message, we were talking this morning about God speaking about hope for this area. When God says, I want to bring hope to this area, that's not an idle word. That's not just a nice thought. It's just not a clever idea. It's a word of power and authority. And so now we can receive that word, carry it in faith, such that it produces hope in people's lives a word of power for miracles. You see, Jared heard the word of the Lord about the canola plants. He received it, he acted in faith, and then it produced miraculously such that it was the talk of the town. God's word's a vehicle of his power, but not only a vehicle of his power, but information for partnership. Information for partnership. God speaks to call God's people into working cooperatively with him. He gives us information such that we can do that. I love that scene that Jeremiah describes. Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear God's words? You've got this imagery, at least I do, of a boardroom. And God and the angels, you know, scoping out strategy with the spreadsheet and the flow chart. And God says, hey, come on in to the boardroom and be a part of this process. God is still the senior partner, but we're called to partner with God, to be God's hands and feet. And the, and the truth is we, God is hamstrung without us. He needs us. He's created the world to need us, to work with us, to be co-laborers. Jesus said, I've come to call you friends, not servants. The idea is that we're engaged fully in this process. So our role is important too. Now, obviously, God is the senior partner, but God speaks so that we can partner 
with him, I often wonder what would have happened if Jared hadn't planted the canola seed. Information for partnership, perhaps the greatest model of this is Abraham. God's looking across the earth and he's, he's saying, I want to bless my people. And he looks for someone who's listening. And he speaks to Abram and he says, I, I want to bless you and I'm going to make a nation come from you and through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so that's information. And then God says, for this to happen, you need to move to the promised land, an unknown land that I'll show you. So Abram gets up and he leaves his home and his life and he heads towards this unknown land that God showed him and he starts to believe for, for children and a generation and a nation that through him all would be blessed such that 1,500 years or so later, this area becomes the crossroads of humanity and Jesus the message of Jesus can go out. Information for partnership. God's speaking to us. The reason, one of the reasons why we listen to him is so that God, what is your plan for Sunderland? What is your ideas? What is your scope? What are you, what are you, what are you thinking in the boardroom, God? Can we join in and be partners? Speak to us. Give us the information that we need. We don't need everything. We just, just insight into what you're doing so that we can cooperate with you. And thirdly, when God speaks, we receive revelation for, part, for relationship. Revelation for relationship. I shared a little bit of my testimony yesterday. And, you know, the truth is I spent the first 21 years of my life learning about God learning about his sovereignty, learning about his love and his goodness. And I, I could tell you about those things. I could quote verses from the Bible about those things. I could write about them. I could speak about them. But when I heard God's voice, you see, when I heard God speaking to me about my life, when I heard God saying things like, the minister here is going to mentor you. You're going to work here one day a week in the church. You're going to be raised up in leadership. And, and when I heard God speak, and then I saw it literally come to pass right in front of me, the exact words that I'd heard, and it started to be fulfilled and I began to step into that. It changed everything. Before I knew that God was sovereign, that God had good plans for the world, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. But now I knew that God had plans for me, plans to give me a hope and a future, plans to prosper me and not harm me. See, those truths started to become personal and I began to develop a personal relationship with God. And sometimes in our churches we can teach these things and people have a relationship with God but it's through somebody else. They know God because someone else told them about God. And it's a good starting point, but it's not the plan that God has for us. Revelation comes from the Spirit so that we can know <coughs> God for ourselves. You see, under the old covenant, the way to hear God's voice was through the prophets. God was still speaking, but it was kind of a second-hand faith. You had to go through somebody else. And even Moses, the forerunner of all the prophets, knew this wasn't <coughs> ideal. He said, I wish 
that all God's people had the Spirit. I wish that all God's people would be prophets, just like me. And then further forward, we see that Jeremiah caught a glimpse of what could be of the new covenant. And he said, one day when the Spirit comes, the Spirit's going to write God's words on everyone's hearts. Not on tablets of stone by someone else, but on everyone's hearts. And then he says, so that you won't need a neighbour to know the Lord because everyone will know me for myself. Jeremiah 32 talks about the promise of the new covenant. And so now that the Spirit has come, the plan from God is that everyone would experience that for themselves. Everyone would have God's words written on their hearts and it comes via the Spirit. It comes through each person, sons and daughters, young and old, connecting with Holy Spirit for themselves. What is God saying to you? And then following it. See, we can have lots of knowledge. One way of describing that kind of cerebral knowledge, head knowledge, is in the Greek it's called gnoskine. The Greeks loved knowledge. And it has the connotation of abstraction, of, of standing back in order that you can know something theoretically, that knowledge. But unless you've experienced personal knowledge, you don't change. The Hebrew word to describe that is yada. And that's the way the Israelites understood knowledge. It's the difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. See, I can know all about the King of England I can read up on his hobbies and his passions. I, I can read the news reports, what's in the papers and the magazines. But it's very different to sitting down with King Charles and having a conversation, yeah. isn't it? Different type of knowledge. And God's plan is that we can have revelation for relationship. I remember in my PhD research, there was a moment in time what I did was I looked at a practical theology for hearing God's voice. Those of you who have bought this book, you'll see some of the findings in here. But one of the best moments I had after listening to nearly 100 people about their stories, well, how did you hear God's voice? Well, how did you know it was God? What, what did God say? And then what happened afterwards? And they, they told me their stories. And, you know, part of research is you interview people to an hour sometimes and, and then you record everything they say and then you have to transcribe it, every single word. <laughs> it takes hours, laborious stuff. But for me, that was the fun part. You know why? Because I got to hear what God was doing and saying. Are you kidding me? It was awesome. There was a woman, she said, one night I had a dream and this great hand came out from heaven and it touched my heart. And when I woke up, I was healed from the wounds of a painful divorce that had happened years before. <coughs> Another woman was a brand new Christian and she started having these recurring dreams and she saw these women and their faces were covered and she couldn't work out why. And then she saw a big sign, like a Hollywood sign, and it said, prepare to go. Soon after that, a missionary came to her church and he finished his sermon with the words, God saying, prepare to go. 
And she runs up to the front and she answers the call to mission. And years later when she's at college training for mission work, someone gives her a coffee table book and the pages fall open and right before her eyes is this picture of women with veiled faces, the exact scene that she'd seen in the dream. It was the Uyghur people in Far East Asia. And those God conversations led her to 10 years of fruitful mission work with people who'd never heard the story of Jesus before. Another man, he had a vision and he saw a woman and she had two little boys, a woman he'd never seen before. And a couple of months later, he was on holiday and he was in the supermarket car park and he sees this woman. It's the woman from the dream. And he runs up to her and introduces himself and he, she thinks he's just a weirdo. Are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> and he walks away and thinks, oh, well, it's obviously not God. You know, for starters, she didn't have two little boys. There were two little boys in the dream. The next day, he's out for lunch with a friend and his friend says, oh, look, I hope you don't mind, but I've invited a friend along. I think you'd really get on well with her. In walks the woman from the supermarket car park, but this time she has two little boys in tow. When he's introduced to the little boy, one of them says, Hello, Daddy. Break me out, hey? <laughs> Years later, they're enjoying a fruitful marriage. God speaking. Powerful, creative, self-fulfilling words that are received, that are heard, that are recognised and acted upon. And as that happens, the Spirit of God coming down and tangible miracles, God's kingdom breaking out in people's lives, all happens through the Spirit, the Spirit that was given to us. And I think about the priorities of Elam, I think about, oh, I've lost my thing, oh well. I think about the priorities of Elam as a, as a church denomination. I think about discipleship making and then I think about what does it mean to be spirit-led disciples. I think about the priority of leadership development and I think about, well, what does it mean to be spirit-led leaders? And what about the priority of church growth, growing churches, spirit-led church growth and then changing nations spirit-led nation change the heart of God the spirit breaking out into our situations well if that is true if God gave his Holy Spirit to the church so that we could hear God's voice and follow the reality is that it doesn't always work as well as that does it Matter of fact, the church seems to go through seasons of rejection and embrace. We embrace the Spirit. Yes, come Holy Spirit, speak to us. And then stuff happens, problems break out, issues disturb us, and then what happens? The pendulum swings back and we reject it again. And actually, if you have a look at throughout history, and this is, ever, anyone ever done church history before? A few of you? Fascinating. We're talking about this in the car. If you have a look at the sweep of church history, you'll see that that pendulum swings up 
embrace the spirit in the first and second century, and then it swings back. Someone takes it too far, moves us into heresy beyond Jesus, and then we get pushed back. And then the spirit moves out into the margins of the church, and we get clashes with the leaders, we get issues of conflict of power, and it swings this way. And then we embrace it again when we realise God's spirit is here to help us and empower us, and then things go wrong, and then we don't know what to do. We hit a problem about the Bible. How does the Bible fit into this? I mean, the season of the Reformation when Martin Luther came and Martin Luther's fighting with the church and the spirit gets pushed out again and people start to believe in cessationism. Mm -hmm. The spirit can only speak through the Bible and then it swings back again and then we get the revivals and the awakenings and we embrace the spirit again and then stuff happens and pastoral problems happen and then it swings back again. And of course, we're living in a season of the Pentecostal time. We're Pentecostal and many mainline churches believe in the spirit as well, but we've still got our problems, haven't we? We still got our issues. So I want to do a little activity right now. I want you to think about what do you think are some of the challenges in this area? See, I can share some of the really good stories, right? Can't I? And we can talk about stories like Jared and all the fun stuff, God speaking about leadership and calling and what have you. But then you've probably got some bad stories too, haven't you? What if you got it wrong? What are some of the issues when we try to facilitate the work of the Spirit in the church. So what we're going to do now is we're going to break up into groups of three. Actually, no, four people. Let's do it in groups of four. How many? One, two, three, four, eight. Yeah, three groups of four and one group of five. And I want you to think about the obstacles that we face in building the church who hears God's voice where everyone can hear the Spirit for themselves. And one of you can be the scribe. Yeah? And then we're going to share what you found. Okay? So let's do that. Everyone stand up. What do you think are the key obstacles in building a church where everyone can hear the spirit for themselves? Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. So piece of paper, pen, someone subscribe. Make, his, make a list of as many problems and obstacles that you can. And maybe the scribes can stand up. Ha! Here we go. I just want to speak. I love the um, worship, by the way, this morning, Nathan, with the backing tracks. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. People don't have to speak out there. All right, so, let's start with Sheila. Sheila, um, I'm going to bring I you the you mic. To, what I want you to do, <laughs> Sheila, is choose one. Well, then we'll come back. Depends how long we take to waffle. I'll just start at the beginning. Is that on? Yes. I'll just start at the beginning then. And we had manipulation in the church that people can, some people can easily be manipulated and some people can easily manipulate to their own agenda. Very good. Um, the old label God told me mm. that you should mm -hmm. do, 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 manipulation. That's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Nothing like touching God to a statement to add yeah. a little bit of authority um, to, to get what you want. Isn't that true? Yeah, that's, that's a big one. How do we fix that? We let that linger. So one of the things that um, we're going to put the spotlight on here is that when it comes to hearing the voice of the Spirit, it's an issue of discipleship. And that gives us an opportunity to disciple people. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more as well. Tracy, what did you have on one of yours? So I sort of linked together, really. Um, so we're talking about being authentic Christians so that we're not just pupilers, uh, you know, our family together are not just pew fillers we're actually there um and we're realizing the holy spirit is for everyone and that not it's not just for the leadership so we're making a supportive culture so that everybody's joining in but obviously that's creating safe spaces it's the the ministering well the obstacle is it's people and, and us not doing that if we if we Louise did a nice thing. If we're not willing to share ourselves and we keep it sort of like this, especially since we've had um, um, lockdowns and things in the pandemic, how are we going to then step out and share the Holy Spirit and what God's saying to us when we can't actually share ourselves with each other? So it's making that space that <coughs> is free and open, safe. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. I think that's a big one, isn't it? That's a huge one. Have a think about what the Holy Spirit has said to you about your life in days gone by. Yeah? What's that been like? Hang on. No, no, no. It's lingering on this for a moment. Um, how, what has God spoken to you about in your life before? How personal is it? Yeah, because the Spirit, remember, speaks as the continuing voice of Jesus. And Jesus said, my people recognize my voice and they follow. So what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus? If Jesus isn't here, literally, and he said, I'm going to send you my spirit to continue basically what I have begun, what does discipleship look like for us today? Well, it looks like listening to the continuing voice of Jesus, recognising it, discerning it, testing it, is that God? And then choosing to follow. My people hear my voice and they follow. So what sorts of things does Holy Spirit speak about? Well, remember Jesus' words, take up your cross and follow. <laughs> if anyone wants to follow me, come after me, what do they have to do? Die to themselves in order that their sin and selfishness may be nailed to a cross and then resurrection life comes. So that means God is more likely to say to someone, make the bed, perhaps, mm -hmm. than I'm going to give you half a million dollars and promote you and give you your dream home. Yeah. So the Spirit speaks as the continuing voice of Jesus. And have a think about what that means for our people who are hearing the Spirit. What sorts of things are the Spirit going to talk about? Well, the Spirit's going to say things like, forgive your father. Right? Yeah. How do I do that? 
Well, first of all, I have to hear God's voice. And then I need to say to myself, well, does that sound like Jesus? Yeah. But actually, forgiving my father is really difficult. Really difficult. Because there's history of so much pain and, and wounds. But this is where I need the church to help me forgive my father. Because I'm not supposed to do this on my own, but how is the church going to help me unless I can share that in a safe place? And then we come to what you were saying, Tracy, because the spirit starts to crack open our hearts. And then we have to acknowledge it, confess it, yeah? Confess your sin to one another that you may be healed, confess it and then invite brothers and sisters to walk with me on that journey. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. And if I've got a church environment that judges me, shames me, yeah. doesn't do you know, gossips about me, yeah. do you think I'm going to share it? Yeah? So part of what it means to build the church who hears God's voice is confronting that obstacle, yeah. isn't it? That's a great one. How do we create safe places within our people, our relationships? Another one. Sue. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that we looked at was religious routine, that we come to church on a Sunday but then drift back off into our secular lives day to day till the next Sunday. So we sometimes we can lack that commitment to build the relationship with God that we need to have. Because if we don't individually have that relationship with God, then we're not going to hear him. And we can't be just spoon-fed, because that's part of the problem as well. That quite often, we like to be spoon-fed by the pastor on a Sunday. We like to be lifted up with the worship, filled up for that moment, and then we're off and nothing else happens after that. So it's about discipleship, really. I think yeah. it's the discipleship side of yeah, things. Good. <coughs> Let's unpack that a little bit. Why do you think that people like to rely on the pastor rather than embrace the fullness of the new covenant? So if I've got a direct hotline to God, imagine, right? It's a pretty good, it's like the best gift ever. Many in our churches are not receiving that gift. Mm -hmm. Why not? Why do they prefer to rely on the pastor then they don't have to, to be spoon-fed? Because they don't have they to don't take responsibility. Yeah, what does that look like? Somebody else's fault. Yeah. They don't want to have to put the work in, and yeah. they don't want to have to be responsible for what happens. So, so pass the buck. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit easier, is it? Yeah. 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 I I um think back at that scene. Um, back in Exodus, when God said, I want to speak to you, and the people said, nah. Moses, Moses, hey, you go up the mountain and you hear from God and, and come back and tell us what God said. And it gives a reason why. It says because they were so fearful what God might say. They were so fearful. So perhaps it's laziness, I think. I think you're right, Miranda. I think it is laziness. Um, it's just easier just to piggyback on the yeah. shoulders of the pastor or the visiting prophet or the prophetic intercessor. Yeah, I think when I look at 
Oh, yeah, he had it too. He had it too, you're right. Do you know... I, I remember when I first started sort of God speak to me, I remember I was being scared. I'm like, what if God says something I don't like? What if God asked me to marry someone really ugly? <laughs> someone I'm not attracted to. But also, what if God tells you to give up something you've been really enjoying? Right. That scared the life out of me. I know. What if God said to you, the problem is that you're drinking every night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do we help that? I think we've got to know if this comes down partly to knowing the nature of God, though. Because if we know God yeah. and his all goodness, yeah. as well as all of his other actions, yeah. and his plan is perfect, then that's where trust can come in. Yeah. But if he's asking us to give something up, there's a very good reason for it. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things there. If it's God asking us to give a couple uh, something up, there will be conviction. Um, it's not something that we can impose on someone, because if that that doesn't work, if God is convicting someone, that with that comes the power and the authority to do it. Um, but I think you're right. I think we have to constantly reinforce the nature and character of God, and that the the other side of the cross is a resurrection, right? So at the other side of my journey to forgiving my father is freedom. How do we do that, I wonder? One, one way I think is a, a nice, easy way um, is to use the power of testimony a lot. When you've seen someone, Holy Spirit, working in someone's life and the difference it makes and you ask them to testify and you let that process be seen and again and again, death, resurrection, death, resurrection, death, resurrection... Because humanity will always resist the work of the Spirit because of sin. So as church leaders, we need to actively work against that. Understand that the kingdom has to be taken by force, is that phrase. Uh, you know, there's a, there is a pushback from the enemy that, will be, that we have to work against, to actively work. And we can create those conditions within the life of our church, that expectation and that foundation of Jesus. I always say that if before you start telling people they can hear the voice of the Spirit, we need to lay the groundwork of Jesus. How else will we recognise the Word of God? The, the, the Jesus was the perfect image of the invisible God before everyone saw in shadow. Now we see in perfect clarity. So when the Spirit speaks, it's going to sound like Jesus. I remember um, talking to some young people, some um, teenagers about this. You know, it's always fun to teach children about hearing the voice of God. And if you can teach them how to discern it, then adults shouldn't, that shouldn't be that, that difficult, should it? And I remember saying to them, let's, let's do an activity. What do you think the Spirit's saying to you? And this little boy said, I think... God is telling me to talk to the boy in the playground that no one likes. So I said to him, okay, so how do you know it's God? Remember, we talked about that Holy Spirit speaks as the continuing voice of Jesus. So everything Holy Spirit says will sound like Jesus 
and we'll be consistent with what Jesus said and did. So we said, okay, so do you remember that story about Jesus where um, there was a crowd and there was a man that everyone hated? Do you remember his name? He's a very short guy. Keith. <laughs> totally, that's, that's the translation, Keith, a.k.a. Zacchaeus. And uh, he was up the tree and what did Jesus say to him? Oh, yeah, come and have dinner. And Jesus talked to him when nobody else would. So do you think that Holy Spirit would say, you know, does it sound like Jesus to talk to the kid in the playground no one wants to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, so how can I help you do it? How can we encourage you to go do what God is saying? Because that's the essence of hearing the Spirit, sons and daughters, young and old, hey? So we have to keep on reminding people that the God that we know is revealed in Jesus and that Holy Spirit will only ever speak in line with the God of love and the God of goodness and the God of kindness and truth. Other obstacles? We'll go around once more, one more time. Sheila, let's go again. Yeah, let's do it. Um, well, a lot of what we've got on here has already been covered. Um, I'm going to... Um, we'll go with... Feeling let down by people in the past and possibly by church in the past can make it hard for people to trust God. Yeah. Yeah, we need a revelation of what God is like, don't we? Yeah. I remember talking to one young woman. She said, I, I, I struggled to hear the voice of God because I realised my image of God was like my father who abused me. And I think this comes back to the role of the, the Sunday service and the teaching that we bring constantly about Jesus, isn't it? Yes. Help people walk through that. It is, it is dangerous to say to people, listen to the spirit outside of scripture when they haven't yet got a grasp on the God of, that we see in scripture, the, the revelation of Jesus. Tracy. Thank you. I always went uh, to leadership was our second one. They sort of all came together in a circle, but it was leadership making sure that um, when we look at things, um, how, how we trying to see how work it, um, that we create more safe environments that people are willing to step up and step out. That we don't just get stuck in the routines because this is sort of how we've done things. Um, It was, yeah. That it's not just the usual, the same people each time. It's that people are actually growing with God and, and they're feeling safe. Yes, to, yes, those situations. Yeah. Those sorts of situations leads to then a lack of maybe authenticity, and f for the remaining people who are, you're asking them to learn these things, to start stepping out in faith. You need to deal with those situations. Um, and then that's, yes, the leader's responsibility. <laughs> the, the public service, the Sunday service, is such an important time 
to demonstrate what God sounds like, isn't it? That when prophetically gifted people get a word for the church corporately, the way that is delivered and the content of that (coughs) becomes like a a snapshot, uh, an example, a demonstration of what that might look like for the individual during the week. Because you and I both know that God speaks outside of the Sunday service and that not everyone is prophetically gifted. You know, um, Corinthians talks about people with gifts of prophecy and prophets. And these are people who are specialists. They're experts in hearing God's voice. They're particularly good at it. And we have an opportunity for them to share corporately within the Sunday service. But sons and daughters, young and old, we can hear God speak wherever we are. And when we come to helping people hear the voice of the Spirit, this Sunday service becomes a wonderful opportunity to model that, to demonstrate what that looks like. So that when I hear from God on a Sunday and I hear someone saying, this is what God is saying, I go, oh, okay. So when I, on my Monday morning when I'm at work and the Spirit says something to me, then it's going to be consistent, isn't it? And so that, that, that Sunday service becomes such an important way to, to model the voice of God for each individual as they go about their Sunday service. And we'll talk about this after the break just quickly, but when you think about the role of prophetically gifted people in the new covenant, what, what has shifted from the old to the new covenant? What is the difference? Well, God is still speaking and people are still hearing, so that hasn't really changed But what has changed is the amount of people who can now hear from God. Remember, before it was the specialist prophets, the mouthpieces. And now in the new covenant, now everyone hears from God. So how does that change things? Sometimes what can happen in church life, which is an obstacle to this, is that we have these prophetically gifted people and they come and they hear from God for everybody else. And... The difference in the new covenant is that we can all hear God for ourselves. So how is that helping this? I remember, um, and we might break after this because we're (coughs) probably crossing your legs. (laughs) Um, I was looking for a house to live in um, in Sydney a number of years ago and the rental market in Sydney is very difficult and I remember praying, God, can you please help me... Help me to find a place to live. And um, uh, it was difficult. And one night I had a dream. And in the dream I saw a massive home. It felt more like a mansion than a home. So different to the small apartment I was living in. And there was, a, there was someone there and they were showing me around this home. I knew it belonged to a very wealthy banker. And in the home we came to one particular area. There was white marble tiles on the floor grand columns up the side and French windows. And I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? And then the scene changed and I was walking along a dusty road and I came across a little boy and he was playing with a toy. It was a periscope. You know, one of those cardboard cylindrical shapes where you have two openings and two mirrors angled at 45 degrees such that when you look in one end you can see out the other around obstacles and over things and he gave me the periscope and he said can you please fix it it's broken so I picked up the periscope 
And I, I, I looked at it and I realised that the reason why it was broken was because the mirrors inside were fuzzy and you couldn't see through them. So I took the mirrors out and I put new ones in. And then I gave the periscope back to the little boy. And then I woke up. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> and, you know, over those years, recent, more recently, God had been started to teach me about hearing God in, in dreams. And I, I realised that throughout the Bible, he does that. Have you noticed that? Um, since then, it's become one of my favourite ways of hearing God because, you know, I get to sleep while I do it. It's pretty cool. Particularly my mind's so busy, it's like God can go straight through. And I remember waking up thinking, oh, what was that? And one of the ways I can tell that it's God or not is if, you know, dreams are just a rehash of what's been going on in our lives. But I couldn't for the life of me think about anything to do with periscopes that week. I hadn't been watching any movies with periscopes. I hadn't been in a science lab looking at mirrors. I'm like, what? And I was thinking about the periscope. I think, yeah, oh, that's a clever thing, isn't it? Because you use periscopes to see things you can't normally see. Is God showing me? My home. A few weeks later, I was chatting with a colleague at work and he was just talking about some things. How's, you, how's it going? I said, oh, I've got to find a place to live. I've got to move. He said, oh, that's interesting. I've got a friend and he's a banker. And he has this house that's empty because he's overseas on a long-term contract. Would you be interested in living there? We go to the home. Feels more like a mansion than a house. We go to one particular area of the home, it has white marble tiles on the floor, French windows, large columns. The home I'd seen in the dream. I moved in a week or so later, and I remember sitting there looking out across the home at the tennis court and the swimming pool. A few other details I hadn't seen in the dream. I lived there rent-free for two years and during that time God spoke to me about my ministry and the nature of my calling. He said, Tanya, the truth is I, I want to show things to people that they can't ordinarily see. I want them to give a revelation of heaven, my reality of those plans in the council room of God. I want to speak to people supernaturally by my spirit. But the problem is the mirrors are fuzzy. <coughs> People can't see clearly. So your job, Tanya, is to fix the periscope, take the fuzzy mirrors out, make them clear. And then what I want you to do is I want you to give the periscope back. I want you to empower them to hear my spirit for themselves. Not that you look through the periscope for them. Because if you do that, you're taking us back to the old covenant. We're living in the time that the old covenant prophets looked forward to and yet so often we go back and we keep the periscope. And there are prophets and prophetically gifted people in the church and we read about them in 1 Corinthians. But the new covenant reality is the spirit given to sons and daughters, young and old, poured out on the day of Pentecost. And as we look at the sweep of scripture, you can see that the church hears from God. Over 20 times in the book of Acts, we see it. And the Holy Spirit said, 
God spoke about what the church should look like. To Peter, that it includes Gentiles. God spoke to the leaders of, of in Antioch about who should be in leadership. God spoke to Stephen about his eternal destiny. God spoke to Paul about what direction to go in in mission. Spoke again about the shipwreck and the fact that he was going to survive it. God spoke to Philip about who to share his faith with. God spoke to Paul about the pain in his life and how to endure it with a thorn in the flesh. God spoke to John and the seven churches of Revelation about how to face the oppression of the Roman Empire. God speaking in the same way that he's done throughout Scripture. And the challenge for us is to move people into the new covenant, to give the periscope back. And the prophets and the prophetically gifted people in our day, the ones who receive a word often in the corporate setting, our main role now is to equip the saints, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, equip God's people to see what God is saying, to to prophesy, to speak it out. And sometimes that involves speaking it out for other people, hearing God for other people. But most of the time, It's going to involve speaking it out and living according to it for myself. God speaking about my life, calling me to follow Jesus. See, it's no good having people prophesying over everyone else when we're not hearing about what God is saying to us because that's discipleship and that's our primary mission. Prepare and make disciples. Prepare God's people for works of service to do what God has called them to do. That's our job as church leaders to release the spirit so that people can look into that periscope and then act on it. After the break, we're going to um, give a few more ideas about how you can build the church who hears God's voice, how we can facilitate that, because the reality is there are problems and there are (coughs) challenges with this. And we don't want to be the generation that then swings that pendulum back. I want to be one that keeps embracing this. And what we're going to understand is that there are some solutions to these problems. It's not always clean. It's not always easy. But God has equipped us with wisdom that we can do this well. So let's have a quick break, shall we?